Your kingdom is unshakable. With you forever we will reign. With you forever we will reign. With you forever we will. Fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. kingdom is unshakable. We're in Matthew chapter 8, and we're talking about God's kingdom. We're working our way verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew, a sermon series that we're calling different. We're calling that different because Matthew's telling us all about King Jesus. And King Jesus is different from any other kind of king. I know that there was a big ceremony, I think, that happened yesterday across the pond related to a new king in the world, but there is no king like our king, King Jesus. He is completely different. His kingdom is completely different, and he's calling people into that kingdom, and he's called us out to be different as we live out in his kingdom in this world in the here and now. Matthew and Matthew 8 and 9, I've, I've told you this a couple of times I think now, but He's doing something really, I think, pretty artistic with the way he's writing this gospel here in chapters 8 and 9. He's, he's got this pattern going where he'll show some miracles of Jesus, and then Jesus does some teaching. And then he goes back to some miracles of Jesus, and then some teaching, and then back to miracles of Jesus, and then some more teaching. Think of it like this. Matthew's showing us what kingdom power looks like and what kingdom principles are. And he keeps rotating that, kingdom power and kingdom principles. And we started this kind of rotation a couple of weeks ago, and we saw the power of Jesus expressed this way. It was expressed by grace for the shunned. I don't know if you remember that, but we talked about three kinds of people that were shunned that we saw Jesus giving grace to. He gave grace to the sick. There was the leper that we saw him heal. He gave grace to the slave. There was the centurion who had a servant that was very sick, and Jesus showed great grace there. And he showed grace to the second class. Women in those days were second class. That is until Jesus died, and, and, and then now we're equal. We were equal all along, but man, it got it wrong. And so Peter's mother-in-law was considered second class, but Jesus healed her. So we saw grace for the shunned. Today we get back into that pattern of seeing the power of our king. And, and today we're going to look at peace for the troubled. Peace for the troubled. And I think this is always timely. But something in my heart this week has felt like this is especially timely right now. Conversations that I've had, times in prayer that I had with some of y'all Throughout this week, we, we've, hey, there's my buddy. The, my buddy, the baby's back, right? She loves talking to me, right? Hi. Hey. I'm up here. Hi. Will you be quiet if you come up here with me? 
hi, I see you. Mom, if not, we got a great place, we got a great nursery if you need it, okay? Feel free, that's fine. I have ADD and I love babies, so that always messes me up, man. I want to hold them and I want to talk to them and hang out with them. So, grace or peace for the troubled. And I think this is relevant because I sense there's a lot of trouble in lives right now. I think that's probably always the case. But it seems to have come up a whole lot this week. And your life today maybe is troubled in some way. Then I want to say you're in the right place. Because I believe today we're going to encounter the peace of God through the presence of God, and through the word of God. And so whatever's going on in your life, I'm thankful that you're here today. Some verses came to mind this week as I was thinking about this, and I'll, I'll, I'll read them to you. You write down the reference, because maybe you'll need to go back to them this week, or maybe you'll need to go back to them sometime. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me, Watch this. In me, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Listen, his, his kingdom has come. Jesus has been raised from the dead. But there's still difficulties in this world that we live in. And Jesus said, you, there will be suffering in this world. But then he says, be courageous because I've conquered the world. Through his sinless life and his death as a substitute on the cross for us and his resurrection over the dead, Jesus has conquered. And he is establishing his kingdom here. We're living in that. It's the reality of the already and the not yet. It's already the kingdom of God among us, but it's not yet in full. But we know Jesus has conquered, and that gives us great peace. Here's, here's one I love. Psalm 29, 11 says this, The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. I, I, I want you to see that. This is our God. The Lord gives. He gives his people strength. And the Lord blesses. He blesses his people with peace. I just heard yesterday one of our, our kids here in the church, he's, he's in eighth grade, I think. Their school went on lockdown this week. Scary times, right? We live in a scary world right now. But kingdom people walk through the scary stuff different. And this eighth grader was a teacher's assistant in that moment in a sixth grade classroom. And, and it, was, it, it was just chaos and panic. But he prayed. Public school. The Lord led him to pray over the kids in the class. He provided leadership. He provided calm. I'm so proud of that young man and, and that reminder that that's what God does for his people the Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Here's another one, Isaiah 54.10. God is speaking here, and he says, Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. A covenant of peace. This is what God does. He gives strength to his people. He blesses his people with peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. Of all the things that Jesus could have chosen to have left, he chose peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. I, I want to encourage you this morning. Hold on to those verses and to verses like that. Because maybe you need those today. And if you don't need those today, 
you may tomorrow, you may need those. And today what we're going to do out of Matthew 8 and we're going to turn over to Matthew 9 is we're going to encounter three different kinds of trouble that, that people face in this world. People like us who are in the kingdom of God already, we're going to face this kind of trouble still. But we face it differently than people who are living in this world apart from Christ. But nevertheless, these three types of trouble are coming at all of us. And I want you to see these today. And, but I want you to know this, kingdom people. With Jesus as your king and with Jesus in your view, you're going to go through these troubling times without a heart that's troubled. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. That doesn't mean you're not going to go through hard times. We will go through hard times. But as God's people, as followers of Jesus, as citizens of his kingdom, as worshipers of the king of all kings, our hearts don't have to be troubled when troubling times come. So let's look at these three kinds of trouble that are going to come our way. Number one is the rage of storms. The rage of storms. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, the Bible says, As he, that is Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Of course, that's what disciples do. They follow. Verse 24, suddenly. And this is how it happens, y'all. This is how it happens. Barry, you know, right? This is how it happens. Suddenly. You don't, you don't, you don't, this doesn't just like creep up. It's like, pow, out of nowhere. Here we go. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. Here's what was going on. They were in Capernaum. Jesus had been performing a lot of miracles. Crowds swelling and growing. Probably didn't get any sleep that night. We left off with Jesus headed toward the boat. Three men approaching him, interested in following him. But not really. You may remember that discussion he had with them. He finally gets to the boat. The disciples get into the boat. And they're going over to the other side, which is about six miles on the other side of the sea. Now, you need to know this. It's dark, and it's dangerous. The Sea of Galilee is infamous for dangerous storms. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake on planet Earth. It sits 700 feet below sea level. It's 12 miles from north to south, across that way, eight miles at the widest, east to west, has water depths of up to 200 feet. Storms rise up and come over those mountains, and they fall into what is literally a bowl, a deep bowl there. And these storms can almost become like a hurricane inside this bowl that just swirl and spin. And when that happens... Lives can be lost. For some of you maybe here today, you feel like that's where my life is. I feel like something suddenly has come into my life, something suddenly has come into my family, and it's bigger and greater and darker and more dangerous than anything I've ever seen or anticipated or expected. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling overwhelmed, afraid, unsure of where all of this is going. Maybe it's dangerous and dark, you think, in your life right now relationally. Maybe it feels dangerous and dark in your life right now because something physically is going on. Or maybe it feels dangerous and dark in your life right now emotionally, maybe spiritually. I hear a lot of storm stories every week. And I know that today some of you are scared. 
I know some of you today are afraid. I know some of you today are anxious. But listen to this. What I love that Luke says about this moment, Matthew doesn't say it, but Luke says it. Luke says, Jesus says to them, let's go to the other side. That's an important statement. When Jesus says, let's go to the other side. You need to remember this. When you find yourself in a storm, whatever God brings you to, he's going to bring you through. From the outset, Jesus had already told them, we're going to the other side. He'll get you to the other side. You may have to go through some storms to get there. You may have to go through some rough water to get there. But God has promised to take you to the other side. What he's promised to bring you to, he's going to bring you through whatever it is that stands in the way of that. But know this, not everybody's going to go with you to the other side. Not everybody is willing to go through what they got to go through to get to the other side. Right, Shannon? You remember those three men, they acted like they want to follow Jesus. But on this side of the sea, it was easy. Jesus was feeding them. Jesus was performing miracles for them. But not everybody's willing to go into the storm to get to the other side. The crowd will always follow Jesus while it's easy. But few are willing to follow King Jesus into the storms. And here's some good news this morning for you, my friends, who may be in a storm today. If you're in the middle of a storm right now, you're already halfway there. If you're in the middle of a storm today, you're already halfway to where God's taken you. You're already halfway to your next mission. You know what that means? This is no time to quit. This is no time to quit. This is no time to quit on your marriage. This is no time to quit on your kids. This is no time to quit on your church. This is no time to quit on your friends. This is no time to quit, especially on your king, King Jesus. It's no time to quit. The disciples are in this storm and they are freaking out. And verse 25 says, so the disciples came and they woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We are going to die. Y'all, they're experienced shipmen, right? But they're convinced this is it. Our lives are flashing before our eyes. They don't come to Jesus going, hey, it's getting a little rocky out here. You know, you might want to kind of check things out a little bit and just kind of help us out. No. They're running in, hairs on fire. Ha! We're going to die. Full on panic. And I bet those moments right before they ran to him are moments that you relate to. I do. Those are the moments you're going, where is he? What is he doing? Does he not know this is happening? Does he not care that this is happening? Is he not able to do anything about this? Ah! We're going to die, right? That's what we're thinking in that moment. I want you to know this. It's precisely in those moments where it's the hardest to trust God that kingdom people are called to trust him the most. It's precisely then when trusting is the hardest that trusting him the most is what's required. When we can't see his hand, 
That's when we got to know our God and trust his heart. And listen, this is a side note, but now is when you need to be knowing who your God is. Now is when you got to be drawing close to him. If you wait till the storm to try to figure out who your God is, man, it's too late. You can't trust him in the storm if you didn't know him before the storm. So it's investing in time with him, knowing him personally. The disciples are freaking out. He says in verse 26, why are you afraid? (laughs) We're going to die. Why are you afraid? You have little faith. And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea. And I I love this. And there was a great calm. Matthew said, not just calm, great calm. Like, make no mistake, this is not like just so happened Jesus said something at the same time the storm kind of let up. Matthew's making it very clear to us here. That's not what happened here. This was like a calm like no other. This was a, a great calm. It, it, it all shut down. Why? Because he got up, the Bible says, and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He said it twice, didn't he? A great calm. One word, one word from God can change everything. Do you know that today? Do you believe that today? The centurion believed that. We saw him a couple of weeks ago. He said, Jesus, remember what he said? You don't have to come to my house. He said, just say the, just say the word. That's all it's going to take from you, God. Your word can do that. There's power in the word of God. I gave you some of those verses to write down earlier. I want you to remember that. This is our God. This is our Lord. This is what he does. He gives strength to his people. He blesses his people with peace. That's our God. It's unconditional. This is what the king does. In Christ, you've met the standard. In Christ, you've met the requirement. Now you are qualified for God to give you, his people, strength and to bless you with his peace. Verse 27, the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Here's what storms can teach us. Write this down, not on your notes. Bonus material, it's free. When the storms come and they're raging, You don't have to tell God how big your storm is. Just tell the storm how big your God is. He's got it. Secondly, storms are coming. For all of us. They're coming. But if you keep your eyes on King Jesus, he'll give you peace. He'll bless you. He will bless you. Peace is not a quality for us to conjure up and work on and try to achieve in our life. It's a gift from God. It's a blessing. His word says, I will bless you, my people, with peace. I love that. He'll bless us with peace. For citizens of the kingdom of God, storms come still for us. But we navigate the storms different. Different. It's our word, right? Eyes on Jesus. Heart full of confidence. Being blessed. Being blessed. Being blessed with peace. 
Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus today and you're not being blessed with peace, I imagine that the posture of your life just kind of looks something like this, palms down, where like, ah, 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 I got this. Come on, hold on. He is ready to bless you with peace. You've got to trust him. Receive that. He cares for you. He wants to bless you with his peace. Three kinds of trouble we can expect in life. Number one, the rage of storms. Number two, the roar of Satan. The roar of Satan. Verse 28, Matthew says, when he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes. Now know this, Jesus has not been to this place yet. His ministry has not invaded this place yet. This is a hard place. It's a difficult place. It's, it's not a Jewish place. It's a Gentile place. They worship a lot of false gods over in this place. It's a challenging place. There's no synagogues there. Nobody knows Jesus there. And it kind of makes you go, that's why he's going there, because he was trying to get away, right? Like there was no cheers where nobody, no, where everybody knows your name. He needed to get away from that where everybody knew his name in Capernaum, and he needed to go where nobody knew his name. And so you might think that's the plan. That's the plan, right? Jesus is trying to retreat. He's trying to get away from all that. And so you're expecting they're going to row this boat over there to the Gadarenes, and he's going to get out, and there's going to be this beautiful, serene, peaceful beach there and, and a little uh, Tiki hut there and, and a little hammock. And Jesus is going to get to lay in the hammock. And somebody's going to have vacation Bible school Kool-Aid with a little umbrella in it to give to Jesus. And he's just going to get some R&R there on the beach. But that is not what happens. What happens is the Bible says two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. Holy cow, that's not on the travel brochure. Nobody said nothing about demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. The disciples are probably, hey, let's get back in the storm. You need to know this. Jesus has not crossed over the sea to get away from ministering to people. He has crossed over precisely to minister to the people who need it the most. Our king is relentless in his love. He is relentless in his grace. He is relentless in his salvation. He is searching out people that he can call his own, that he might give them strength, that he might bless them with his peace. You need to know the wind did not randomly push this boat to that spot. This was not by chance or happenstance. Jesus knew where he was going. He had a plan and he had a purpose. He crossed a stormy, dark, dangerous sea to get to this place to save a soul from Satan. And these two men have been under satanic power for some time. Look at verse 28. The end of verse 28 says, They were so violent that no one could pass that way. These guys were legendary in that place. They, people knew. There's nothing we can do with these guys. They're so dangerous. They're so strong. Luke tells us that the men could not be restrained. Nobody could help these guys. They were trapped under a satanic stronghold. The best the town could do, the Bible says, is just try to get around them. Just try to avoid them. The demons have taken over. These men are prisoners to Satan. Maybe today you have sensed the roar of Satan in your life. Here's good news. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The Son of God, that is Jesus, was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. 
Maybe the trouble in your life recently, you just feel like, man, it's spiritual warfare. I know it is. I'm familiar with that. I know what it is. It's like I can, I can, I can hear the roar of Satan at me and at my people and my family and the people I love. But Jesus has come to destroy the devil's works. Here he is at the gatherings. He's exhausted, I'm sure. He's not slept much. He's not eaten well. He's just sailed through a dark, stormy sea and landed at an even darker place. He's in a place that will not be friendly to him, but Jesus is on a mission to rescue somebody from Satan's roar. And he's still doing that today. He hasn't changed. Mr. David, he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. The same Jesus that landed on the shore of that place that day to set people free from satanic strongholds, he's here today. And it could be today he has rowed up to the shore of your life today to give you victory, to set you free, to do what our God does. What does our God do? Our God gives his people strength. He blesses, he blesses, he blesses his people with peace. Look at verse 29. Suddenly they shouted, not the men, the demons in the men. They shouted, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They recognized him. How do these demons recognize Jesus? Well, he created them. They used to live with him. They used to surround his throne and worship him. They know precisely who he is. They used to bow before him in worship. Now they're bowed before him again, but this time in fear. Nobody could defeat him. Nobody could restrain him. But Jesus shows up. And now who's freaking out? And they know that a day's coming. I don't know if you caught that, but they know a day's coming that he's going to judge them. He's going to sentence them, and he's going to cast them into the place of torment forever. Verse 29, they, this is what they said. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Listen, you need to be reminded today, or maybe you don't know this today, but Satan and the demons, they know their destiny. They know their fate. They know the Bible. They know God is unstoppable. Now, we get to freaking out, but they're the ones that are really freaking out because they know. They say, are you here to torment us before our time? They know what's going to happen. It's kind of sad to me that I think a lot of days they believe the Bible more than I do. Maybe Satan's roaring in your life today, but listen, he knows the truth. You, you have felt the heaviness of spiritual warfare in your life. Satan knows the truth. He knows what the Word says. He knows what he cannot do. He knows that God is all powerful and he knows that if you have trusted Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you're a citizen in the kingdom of heaven that neither death nor life nor rulers or things present or things to come or powers nor height nor depth or any created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. He knows that about you. Look at verse 30. A long way off from them a, a large herd of pigs was feeding the demon still talking to Jesus said, if you drive us out, the demons begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. Go. I love that. 
y'all, I'm just a fan of the Jesus flex. I just am. I just love it. Like, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't, like, throw out a parable right now. He just goes, go. Go. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. All right. When I was a kid, Amber, and I'd go to Sunday school, and I would hear this story taught. In my mind, it, it was like the Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons. If you remember, am I remember Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons? What's wrong with the world today is we have a whole generation that missed out on that, all right? But if you ever watch those cartoons, at some point, the, the, the coyote ends up running off a cliff. And it's like a straight drop all the way to the bottom. He runs off the cliff, and his little coyote legs are spinning in the air. You know, he looks at the camera. He holds up a sign that says, help. And then, (laughs) so in Sunday school, that's the way I always saw this story happen. That the pigs, the demons hit them. They start running, they go off that kind of cliff, and little piggy feet. <laughs> Teachers had to fill up time in those days, you know. But I was just in Israel, and I saw that cliff where this happened. And I noticed something interesting about this cliff. It doesn't look like the cartoon. It's kind of a steep cliff. But if you jumped off of it, you probably wouldn't die. Might break a leg. But then there's this long, gentle slope that goes down to the sea. So what just happened here in this story is the demons go into these pigs They run off the side of this hill. They keep on running. They run all the way down to the sea. And they keep on running. And they run way out into the sea. And they swim so far out that they drowned. That is not normal pig behavior. That's not what pigs do at all. These demons ran these pigs into the depths of the Sea of Galilee. Let me tell you what that is. That is some pretty cool foreshadowing of the power of Jesus that is going to be unleashed one day, not too long from now. He is going to run Satan and every demonic power into the place of torment where they they will be justly tormented forever. But these two men, they're set free from Satan's roar, and you can be today too. Just look to King Jesus because he gives his people strength. My heart's heavy for some of you today. I know you're so tired, but I'm telling you, he gives strength. He blesses his people with peace. Look at verse 33. Then the men who tended the pigs fled. These pigs, by the way, they were like a community co-op. Everybody had some pigs. The community went in together to hire pig tenders. That's like chicken tenders, but I mean it's somewhere different. Like 
They hired men to tend to the pigs. You know what I mean? So it's like a, a co-op that they had. And so those men, they're, they're flipping out because they know pigs, and they know pigs don't do that. And so they're gone. They ran, and they ran to the city, and they reported everything. But what was a bigger deal to them than the pigs was what had happened to those two men who were demon-possessed. And at that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Huh? But this ain't going where you think it's about to go. When they saw Jesus, they begged him to leave their region. These people don't want Jesus to stay. They just lost their pigs because of him. We want our pigs back. We need you to go because we were fine without you. We had our life the way we wanted it, the way we liked it. Now you're here and it's messed up. They loved their pigs more than people. They loved their pigs more than the peace of God. They loved their piggy co-op more than the kingdom of God. Instead of rejoicing and praising Jesus, they said, we don't want you here. And some of you today, you may make that same choice. You have your pigs, whatever they are. But it's what you love, it's what you embrace, it's how you find your purpose and your worth and your identity. Everything kind of operates and revolves around that. And as long as Jesus will stay on the boat and not mess with your pigs, you'll sing him some songs. But the minute he steps off on the shore of your life and starts establishing his kingdom in your life, now I don't want you to be my king. Three kinds of trouble we can expect in life. The rage of storms. The roar of Satan, number three, the regret of sin. I don't know if you've ever been troubled by the regret of sin. It's probably worse than storms. It's probably worse than the roar of Satan. We get to chapter 9 and Matthew says, so he, that is Jesus, got into a boat. They didn't want him there, so he gets in the boat. He crossed over, came back to his own town. His town is Capernaum. That's headquarters. They're back where this journey all started. And just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. This is a paralyzed man here. And I love these guys. I call these guys difference makers. I love difference makers. I, 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 I love to be around difference makers. And, and that's who these guys are. They had a friend that was paralyzed. And they cared about their friend enough that they went to their friend. They, they, they got him on a stretcher. Every, everybody grabbed a part of that stretcher. They're difference makers. And I don't know how far they had to carry him, but they carried him. They carried him to Jesus. And Mark tells us this part, that when they get to the house, to Peter's house, the house is so full of people it's surrounded by so many people. They can't get their friend to Jesus, but difference, difference makers don't quit. Difference makers don't stop. Like there's people who go, well, if the Lord opens the door, but difference makers go, let's see if the Lord opens this door. <laughs> right? Oh, he didn't. Okay. They go up to the rooftop. They start dismantling Peter's roof. Now, we know Peter a little bit, right? 
Can you imagine what was going on? They start to lower their friend down by a rope to Jesus. I love these difference makers. And here's the right kind of difference makers. The right kind of difference makers love their friends and they trust their God. True difference makers. True difference makers love people and trust God. All of us should aim to be that kind of difference maker. Is it going to be difficult to love people sometimes? Yep. And, and half the time, you're the one that's hard to love, right? It's a two-way street. Is it challenging? Is it heartbreaking? Is it messy to love people? Yes, yes, and yes. I love what the Bible says next. Seeing whose faith? Hello, their faith. The guy on the stretcher is inconsequential at the moment. Jesus sees the faith of his buddies. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, but he doesn't tell him what you think he's going to tell him. Have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. I can see the scene. They've lowered him down. He's laying here in front of Jesus. He's staring up. His buddy's face is staring down. And they're thinking, we went through all this trouble for this moment. And what they have expected is going to happen next is that Jesus is going to look at him and say, Arise, take up thy bed and walkest. That's not what he said. Jesus said, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. What's going on here? Everybody could see that the man's body was broken, but only Jesus could see his soul was broken. And your soul is far more important than your body. We're not bodies that happen to have a soul. We are souls that are encased in a temporary body. This man's soul was broken under the burden of the regret of sin. And some of you today know exactly how that burden feels. Some of you are surprised you even came to church today because you were so burdened by the regret of sin. I'm thankful that that didn't keep you away. This is a place where sinners are welcome because we have good news. Our God wants to call you his own through faith in Jesus. And he's the God that gives strength to his people. He blesses his people with peace. See, the, and you know this, if you've ever been under that burden of the regret of sin, the burden of the regret of sin can paralyze your soul. That burden can paralyze your sense of purpose. And some of you this morning find yourself buried under that weight of regret. I'm going to tell you this, though. Jesus is in this house today, too. And the same grace that was available for that man, the same forgiveness that was available for that man, the same blood that was shed for that man to remove his sin and to reconcile him to God is the same that's available to me and to you today. 
He's saying to you today, have courage, my son, my daughter. Your sins are forgiven. He's not brought you here to load you down with a big to-do list. He's brought you here to lift himself up before you that you would see how amazing and beautiful and glorious he is and that his love for you is deeper than you can imagine. He has mercy and grace for you and he wants to make you his own so that he can call you his own and he will give you strength and he will bless you with peace. This is our God. I'm so thankful, Mark. He's not like, okay, here's this week's to-do list. Get it, boy, get it. No, the Holy Spirit's going, no, this is your God. This is him. Behold him. Of course, religious folks like their list. They like the games. They like the charades. They like the requirements. Verse 3 says it this, some of the scribes said to themselves, he's blaspheming. Notice it says they said to themselves. This is a conversation between their ears. Verse 4, Jesus flex, perceiving their thoughts. <laughs> Jesus said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? Okay, that's when I would have freaked out. I just saw him do this, but now he's reading my mind. Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Which is easier to say? Think about that. Which is, here's the answer to that. It's easy to say your sins are forgiven. I mean, like right now, I just go, hey, everybody. Your sins are forgiven. Nobody can prove I'm right. Nobody can prove I'm wrong. Easy to say that. Jesus says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Then he says, verse 6, but so that you may know that the Son of Man, that's a title for God Almighty out of the book of Daniel, kind of has the idea of king of the universe. So Jesus says, I'm the king of the universe. And so that you know the king of the universe has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take up your stretcher and go home. And so he got up and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. See, Jesus did way more. When I was a kid in Sunday school, it wasn't my teacher's fault. It's just what kids do, right? The concrete. We understand the concrete, the tangible better. But this story isn't about Jesus healing this man's physical paralysis. It's about Jesus healing this man's spiritual paralysis. He forgave him. He got him out from underneath that burden of the regret of sin. It troubled him no more. The Bible says the man got up and he walked home. And I think he walked home dripping with the peace of God all over his life. This is what Jesus does to his people. He gives his people strength. He blesses his people with peace. King Jesus, he's different. His kingdom is different. He is the difference maker He's the Prince of Peace. And if you need peace today, and I know you do. I know you do. If you need peace today from a storm that's raging, or from the roar of Satan, or from the regret of sin, Jesus is here. And if you don't know Him, He's ready for you to know him, for you to be his own. Because those who know him, those who belong to him, he gives his people strength. He blesses his people with 
peace. This is why he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe. Believe in God. So God, we want to thank you this morning for Jesus, your son, our savior, our king. Thank you that he came into this world. And he didn't shrink back from anything. He rode right into the storms. He faced the demons. He stood strong against religious leaders who were bent to do it in their own way. God, I pray that in this moment today, in this place, God, that you would work in people's lives. God, I know the burdens are heavy in this place and heavy in these hearts today. Trouble abounds throughout this place. So God, give us grace to see Jesus today. The calmer of storms. The one who cast out satanic strongholds and demons. The one who through his blood has removed the stain and the shame and the guilt and the burden and the regret of sin. You've called us into freedom. So God, would you let freedom reign in this place today so that joy might flow and praise might rise to our King. With your heads down for just a moment, I want to tell you a secret. You're going to find this out in just a minute, but if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. This was God's secret, I guess. And then he told Mike about it, and then Mike told me right before church started. This wasn't planned. Before church started in the first service today, Mike said, hey, we're singing this song at the end today. And your number one point matches the first verse. And your number two point matches the second verse. And your number three point matches the third verse. What? So in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship God and we're going to respond to God. You may come to this altar and pray. This front row is almost completely empty. And that can just be your altar. You can just put your face in those seats or on these stairs or whatever. But as we sing, you're going to notice verse 1 talks about a storm. Verse 2 talks about Satan. Verse 3 talks about our sin. But there's a fourth verse, and I'm going to keep that a secret for now. When we get to the fourth verse, you'll figure out what the fourth verse is about. Listen, y'all, this is when we get to... Worship God. This is when we get to respond to God. I had a man tell me this week, Pastor, you know how many Sundays I want to come down there and pray? And I don't know why people aren't coming down there and praying. I went, because you're not coming. He's telling you. And you're not coming. I don't know why there's this resistance. But I've been asking this same Jesus I preached to you about today to remove it from this place. I've called some of your names out specifically this week 
Because I know you've been resisting. And I've just been asking him to remove that. This would just be a place that we encounter him in his fullness, in his beauty, in his glory. So let's stand and let's worship our King.